taken from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, right at the very end. Um, So it's Matthew 28, um, beginning at verse 16, the commissioning of the disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, all ethnic groups. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey, or literally how to obey, all that I've commanded you. And be absolutely clear that I am with you always, in every aspect of your life, until your life ends or to the end of the age comes. It's incredible Jesus' clarity, isn't it, to those disciples. After all the things that he'd been teaching them, he wanted to make it very, very clear what their vision was for going forward. After his resurrection, he was sending them out. He promised them the help of the Holy Spirit. He now gave them the assurance that he would be with them always, and that he would help them to understand how to obey and to put into practice the things that he had been showing them all these years. But not just for their own sakes, for the sake of the people who are yet to come. It was a mission statement, a co-mission that they would do together. They would do together as disciples, they would do together with him, and that it would be a vision that life in its fullness would be the gift of God to all people. And back in 2012, when we were seeking to try to discern what God was calling us to be about as a church, how were we to interpret this very clear commission that God had given his disciples, which remains true for today? How would we respond to that? How would we interpret that for our own church and our own situation? And so a phrase that came out of a lot of prayer and thinking and tried to be uh, succinct and clear in its impact was this one that we are very familiar with now. We're learning to live the life. Learning to live the life that God has given us, the life that's revealed in Jesus. It's the risen life of the Holy Spirit among us. It's the life to which God invites all people to come. It's a whole life. It's a full life. It's a fruitful life. And we try to express that visually in the logo that we have. Learning to live the life of being a living thing rooted in the vine of Christ, the true vine. Recognizing that being connected to him was crucial 
For apart from me, said Jesus, you can do nothing. You can't be people who are truly fruitful in the world unless you're connected to him. And so therefore, in the logo, we have that connection with the Christ, represented by the cross, the crucified Christ, the vine in the cross shape, that then becomes something out of which we live fruitfully. Lives that allow God's Spirit to be seen in everything that we're about. Not only in our own lives individually, but lives as a church. So they are full lives and they're fruitful lives. We just uh, <coughs> have to wait until it um, goes away. Oh. very much. So that really has crystallized for us as a church what that vision be. And, and five years ago, we thought, well, how do we therefore, uh, with that vision, which is based on, on Great Commission, learning. Learning is about being a disciple. As you know, the word for disciple is, can be literally translated as a learner. So we're learning to live that life. It's something that we don't, just doesn't happen automatically, woof, and it all happens. But it's something that we learn from one another. We learn from the scriptures. We learn from shared experience. We learn from the saints going down the ages as we read, as we reflect, as we discern what God is saying. As we go through really hard times in our lives, and we ask the question, what is God doing here? when we've prayed and prayed, and the opposite of what we've prayed for happens. We cry, we grieve, we, we are the point of giving up. What are we learning through that time? It's an incredibly constructive way of living if we approach life like that. Because it allows God to do a shaping in us that forms us through the fire and brings maturity in our lives the like of which we've never otherwise would experience. And so we, as a church, have sought to identify things that would mean that if we were to be able to do these five things, we would be moving towards learning to live that life. And back in 2012, we tried to identify a number of key culture shifts. We had to think about how do we, uh, how things were done around here as a church. Uh, Mark Green's definition of culture, how we do things around here. And we wanted to see five culture shifts that would mean that we would move from where we were to where God wanted us to be, that would take us toward this vision of learning to live the life more fully. And there are five things I just want to share briefly that we are recognizing that would be true of our church today that maybe weren't so true of Christ Church five years ago. And the first thing is that we would establish a value establish the value of a rhythm of life. Rhythm of life. Great song. 
but it's also a great way to live. What I mean by that is that we might structure our lives in a way that is fruitful and not frantic. And that image of the vine and the branches was key in that thinking. Because, as you know, with any sort of vine or, or a thing that grows, like a rose or something, a climbing rose, it needs to have a trellis. It needs to have some sort of framework around which it can grow effectively. It doesn't just sprawl on the ground and the fruit gets wasted. And so it's a very ancient concept of ancient practice of spiritual disciplines, of things that allow our lives to become, um, I say, keyed in to certain practices that our lives, that allow our lives to become more fruitful. So the concept of abiding, of resting, of trusting, all these things become possible as at prayer and work and rest are built into a structure that allows us to not just take every day willy-nilly, but it has a pattern to it, a routine to it, a discipline to it, so that regular times of prayer, reflection on the scriptures, of being able to sit in quiet, being able to worship God as an everyday part of our lives, things that allow us to um, take stock of what's happening in life, and maybe use journaling as a thing that can really help us to understand what God is doing and ask those difficult questions. To be thankful, to be able to appreciate the amazing things that God is doing, and to have a rhythm of life that becomes part of our family lives is crucial for us to become people who would learn to live that life well. Secondly, we wanted to establish a value of a church that's both gathered and scattered, recognizing that our church was not just what happened on Sundays, that our church here as the vital part of gathering together to worship God, to meet one another, to be able to hear God's word, to unpack it, to hear testimony, to be able to uh, pray together as a community, was one part of what it meant to be church. But equally, being church scattered when we're out there in the community doing what we're doing on our front lines was just as important a part of what it meant to be church as being here gathered together. And I, I think that there is and has been a growing sense of Sunday being as important as other days in the week. In fact, I think sometimes we might have gone too far the other way that uh, because we've had such an emphasis on the scattered church and being God's people where we are, I think there's been, as a danger with that, is that I've heard people say, you know, I'm just, I'm being church where I am. And I don't really make it a priority to come together on a Sunday. Or I'll come perhaps once a month. 
you know, and I and I feel that there's been possibly an over-egging of the scattered side of church as opposed to the gathered side of church. I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what your questionnaires reveal and what your thinking on that is. But how important is the gathering together for worship to you? How important is the Sabbath principle to make Sabbath the crucial day where we set aside everything else in order that we can worship God together as his people. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the day that launches us into the week ahead. It prepares us for what the opportunities that God gives us in the future might be. And it enables us to pray for one another in relation to our daily lives. We've sought to do that in different ways over these years. Thirdly, then, we've been seeking to recognize that the whole of life matters to God. The whole of life matters to God. And we've sought to try to dispel this terrible myth that permeates the whole <coughs> excuse me, of our nation, of the sacred-secular divide that for some things are secular and they're out there and they're nothing really to do with God and he wouldn't be interested in them anyway. But there are things that are really sort of important to God, like worship and prayer and sort of churches, buildings and things like that. Those are the, the sacred things. And that's really what being a Christian is about, to operate in that level. This myth is something we try to bust time and time again. And it came home to me the other day, well, last Sunday, actually, when someone came who uh, was a professional basketball player in Bristol. And he came to this church because someone else in this congregation had said to them that they were praying for them in their work with their basketball team. And it completely blew their minds that a Christian should be concerned about what was happening in Bristol basketball team and are praying for him in that situation. As if basketball was of no interest to God, but playing an instrument in the worship group, that was really important. Being a vicar was more important than being a basketball player. Who said that? It's all about life. It's not about religious stuff. The whole of life is vital to God, and it matters to him. So whether it's family, home, workplace, leisure activities, science, arts, politics, the poor, the homeless, the lonely, the rich, wherever God places us, we are his body right there on our front lines. And that's a word that's become so Part of our vocabulary, isn't it? Front lines. Wherever God has placed us, living out our lives with the values of the kingdom and seeking to make new disciples by sharing our faith with others in whatever ways are appropriate. And that might be in any way, not just about talking about our faith. Remember we've had those six M's. Six things that start with M. 
So we are being fruitful on our front lines when we're making good work. We're just doing a good job. We're ministering truth and grace. We're being a mouthpiece for the gospel. We are being people who are recognizing... Um, I've forgotten the third one now. Uh, being able to be... No, it's a mouthpiece for truth and justice. That's right. Mouthpiece of truth and justice. So when we stand up for people who are being oppressed in the places where we see injustice, we will take a stand for that. We might be messengers of the gospel, messengers of the gospel. We might speak about our faith in some ways in an appropriate context. But there are lots of other ways that we can express our faith in God wherever we are. So the whole of life matters to God. Then fourthly, the shift that we've seen trying to make is, is that of recognizing that leadership is about growing disciples. Leadership is about growing disciples. It's not about getting things done the leader's way, and it's not about trying to fix everything. The first calling of leaders in the New Testament is to ensure that a church community at every stage and at every age, so this discipleship is from all ages, not just adults, all ages, that our church community is a disciple-making one that will help people to grow into maturity and mission. And that a leader's role is to help people to see that when they join Christ's church, they are coming to a church with strong networks of care in which they will be both helped to grow towards maturity and be part of maturing others, that they might become disciple-making disciples. Thus, leaders are now not so much attempting to fix problems, but to ask, what is God wanting to teach us through all this? The leaders are called to prayer and to dependence on God to humility, and to live lives that reflect the character of Jesus. Leaders are called to serve, and they're called to receive. They're called to cry, they're called to be alongside people, they're called to be like Christ in the community. Focused on enabling people to care for one another and equip one another for living out their faith in the harsh realities of our world. And so we've been seeking to make a shift to where a few people have been trying to sort of get alongside other people and help them to rather to become people who will enable everyone to care for one another and to listen to each other's needs and to respond with love. And that, I think, is a crucial thing that God has been teaching us. And to not expect, you know, have an expectation that if somebody is in need, the vicar will go and visit them. I'm so sorry to disappoint you if I haven't visited you when you expected me to do so. And there are times when it's right for me to go and see people in particular situations. But the culture of the church that we have moved toward is that 
God will appoint you to send certain other people who are still part of the body of Christ to bring that need about. Wonderful example is Martin here, who's been nurtured and loved and cared for over these last months by loads and loads of people within the church. You? I've gone to speak with you and to share, praying with you, but loads of other people have been doing exactly the same. And it's a great example of the body of Christ exercising that pastoral ministry in a way that maybe wouldn't have happened to such an extent five years ago. I don't know. So, we're recognizing that leadership is about growing disciples. And finally, we're learning that traveling from here to there, moving toward a vision, is something that happens in one degree shifts. And I hope we've been clear enough in our communication of the direction we're called to travel that people know what we're about as a church. You know, if I want to go into to Bristol from the bottom of uh, Shrubbery Road on Down End Road, I get on a number 47 bus or a number 48 bus if I'm going by bus. That's correct, isn't it? I'm glad about that. I, got, I only know a little bit about buses, but I do know the bus to get me into the centre of Bristol. And if somebody wants to travel in this direction towards a, a church that is seeking to live life in its fullness and to live that life fruitfully and bless others, then we want to make sure that people know where we're going. And so being able to know where we're going is the first thing, but how we get there is just by little steps. We need to talk about baby steps, just enough. I'm not going to take too many here enough steps to get us on the journey. So if we make big leaps, big changes, big revolutions, then that's going to completely blow some people apart. Most of us don't like change, don't like much change. And therefore, we've sought to do it a little bit at a time. And those things are called one-degree shifts. Small changes over a long period of time will get us to where we want to be. And with the building project, the uh, building for life, we're seeking to make those shifts bit by bit. We've sought to take people, I hope, with us on that journey over many, many years now, a lot many more years than we were anticipating when we first started that. But bit by bit, it's becoming clear where God is leading us. And God is leading us into a vision where life in its fullness becomes something that we can all experience in ourselves and as a community. So in conclusion, when we look back to 2012, we can see that God has been doing amazing things, miraculous things among us. We can celebrate the evidence of that work. And we can recognize in different ways that People of Christchurch are now growing. They're recognizing that Jesus is Lord of all and worshiping him. They're seeing a vision of a church as a community with Christ at the center. They're sensing a rhythm of life, a rhythm in their lives where routine work is wrapped around daily worship rather than worship being squeezed into work. 
where many meaningful relationships with people who would have remained strangers are being built, where a fresh understanding and enthusiastic sense of purpose about mission is grasped, that it's not just by, done by the few, but it's done by all of us. But we have a deeper consciousness of the presence of God and power of God on our front lines. We're able to pray for people and pray that God would transform them in everyday life. We have a sense of support from our fellow Christians in prayer and encouragement, and we're feeling equipped to face each day with confidence in Christ. I hope and pray that we've been have a growing desire to welcome others, not only into our homes, but into our lives. And most of all, that we have a love of just being alive, living fruitfully and joyfully in this world, and seeing others discover that life as we reach out to those who are on the margins and who are least, are furthest from God. So, really, the logo we, uh, we had, so Dave can put that up on the screen, recognizing that it is all about life. A new life, a whole life, a life that is both given and learned, and a life that offers a radical alternative to those who are longing that things might be different. That's a life that we're learning to live. And what I'd like us to do now is just to spend a few moments reflecting on where you are in relation to this vision, how far you think what I've talked about is true in your own experience or not true, because we need to take stock in order that we can move forward with an understanding of where God has led us to. So if you could just spend a few moments now, please give those questionnaires out, that would be really helpful, and then we can allow uh, some time back seven, seven or eight minutes, just to complete those.